Chapter 43 of Faulkner. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Beth Blakely, Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Faulkner by Mary Shelley. Chapter 43. The varied trains of hopes and fears which belonged to the situation of the prisoner and his faithful young companion stood for some time suspended. In some sort, they might be said neither to hope nor fear for reasoning calmly they neither expected that the worst would befall and the actual and impending evil was certain like shipwrecked sailors who have betaken themselves to a boat and are tossed up upon a tempestuous sea they saw a ship nearing they believed that their signal was seen and that it was bearing down towards them what if with sudden tack the disdainful vessel should turn its prow aside and leave them to the mercy of the waves they did not anticipate such a completion to their disasters yet as time passed new anxieties occurred faulkner's solicitor mr colville had dispatched an agent to america to bring osborne over the pardon promised ensured his coming and yet it was impossible not to feel inquietude with regard to his arrival faulkner experienced least of this he felt sure of osborne his creature the being whose life he had heretofore saved whose fortunes he had created he knew his weakness and how easily he was dealt with the mere people of business were not so secure osborne enjoyed a comfortable existence far from danger why should he come over to place himself in a disgraceful situation to be branded as a pardoned felon in a thousand ways he might evade the summons perhaps there was nothing to prove that the osborne whom hoskins named was the osborne who had been employed by faulkner and was deemed an accessory in mrs neville's death hillary who had been sent to washington in september had written immediately on his arrival his passage had been tedious as autumnal voyages to america usually are he did not arrive till the last day of october he announced that osborne was in the town and that on the morrow he should see him this letter had arrived towards the end of november and there was no reason wherefore hillary and osborne should not quickly follow it but november passed away and december had begun and still the voyagers did not arrive the southwest wind continued to rain with slight variation except that as winter advanced it became more violent packets perpetually arrived in liverpool from america after passages of seventeen and twenty days but hillary did not return nor did he write the woods were despoiled of their leaves but still the air was warm and pleasant and it cheered elizabeth as favorable to her hopes the sun shone at intervals and the misty mornings were replaced by cheerful days elizabeth rode out each morning and this one day the sixteenth of december she found a new pleasure in her solitary exercise the weather was calm and cheerful a brisk canter gave speed to the current of her blood and her thoughts though busy had a charm in them that she was half angry with herself for feeling but which glowed all warm and bright despite every effort on the preceding evening she had observed on her return home at nine o'clock from the prison the figure of a man which passed her hastily and then stood aloof as if guarding and watching her at a distance once as he stood under an archway a flickering lamp threw his shadow across her path it was a bright moonlight night and as he stood in the midst of an open space near which her house was situated she recognized muffled as he was the form of gerard neville no wonder then that her heart was lightened of its burden he had not forgotten her he could no longer command himself to absence if he might not converse with her at least he might look upon her as she passed on the same morning she entered her father's prison-room she found two visitors already there colville and his agent hilary the faces of both were long and serious elizabeth turned anxiously to faulkner who looked stern and disdainful he smiled when he saw her and said 
you must not be shocked my love at the news which these gentlemen bring i cannot tell how far it influences my fate but it is impossible to believe that it is irrevocably sealed by it but who can express the scorn that a man must feel to know that so abject a poltron wears the human form osborne refuses to come such an announcement naturally filled her with dismay at the request of falkner hilary began again to relate the circumstances of his visit to america he recounted that finding that osborne was in washington he lost no time in securing an interview he delivered his letters to him and said that he came from mr falkner on an affair of life and death at the name osborne turned pale he seemed afraid of opening the letters and muttered something about there being a mistake at length he broke the seals fear in its most abject guise blanched his cheek as he read and his hand trembled so that he could scarcely hold the paper hilary perceiving at last that he had finished reading and was hesitating what to say began himself to enter on the subject when faltering and stammering osborne threw the letter down saying i said there was a mistake i know nothing all this affair is new to me i never had concern with mr falkner i do not know who mr falkner is but for the pale quivering lips of the man and his tremulous voice hilary might have thought that he spoke truth but he saw that cowardice was the occasion of the lie he told and he endeavoured to set before him the perfect safety with which he might comply with the request he conveyed but the more he said osborne gathering assurance the more obstinately denied all knowledge of the transactions and questions or their principal actor he changed warmed by his own words from timid to impudent in his denials till hilary's conviction began to be shaken a little and at the same time he grew angry and cross-questioned him with a lawyer's art about his arrival in america questions which osborne answered with evident trepidation at last he asked him if he remembered such and such a house and such a journey and the name of his companion on the occasion and if he recollected a person of the name of hoskins osborne started at the word as if he had been shot pale he was before but now his cheeks grew of a chalky white his limbs refused to support him and his voice died away till rousing himself he pretended to fly into a violent passion at the insolence of the intrusion and impertinence of the questions as he spoke he unwarily betrayed that he knew more of the transaction than he would willingly have allowed at last after running on angrily and incoherently for some time he suddenly broke away and they were at a tavern left the room and also the house hilary hoped that on deliberation he would come to his senses he sent the letters after him to his house and called the next day but he was gone he had left washington the evening before by the steamer to charleston hilary knew not what to do he applied to the government authorities they could afford him no help he also repaired to charleston some time he spent in searching for osborne vainly it appeared plain that he had travelled under another name at length by chance he found a person who knew him personally who said that he had departed a week before for new orleans it seemed useless to make this further journey yet hilary made it and with like ill success whether osborne was concealed in that town whether he had gone to mexico or lurked in the neighbouring country could not be discovered time wore away in fruitless researches and it became necessary to come to a decision hopeless of success hilary thought it best to return to england with the account of his failure so that no time might be lost in providing a remedy if any could be found to so fatal an injury to their cause while this tale was being told falkner had leisure to recover from that boiling of the blood which the first apprehension of unworthy conduct in one of our fellow-creatures is apt to excite and now spoke with his usual composure i cannot believe he said that this man's evidence is of the import which is supposed no one in fact believes that i am a murderer every one knows that i am innocent 
All that we have to do is to prove this in a sort of technical and legal manner, and yet hardly that, for we are not to address the deaf ear of law, but the common sense of twelve men, who will not be slow, I feel assured, in recognizing the truth. All that can be done to make my story plain, and to prove it by circumstances, of course must be done, and I do not fear but that, when it is ingenuously and simply told, it will suffice for my acquittal. It is right to hope for the best, said Mr. Colville, but Osborne's refusal to come is in itself a bad fact. The prosecutor will insist much upon it. I would give a hundred pounds to have him here. I would not give a hundred pence, said Faulkner dryly. The other stared. The observation had an evil effect on his mind. He fancied that his client was even glad that a witness so material refused to appear, and this to him had the aspect of guilt. He continued, I am so far of a different opinion that I should advise sending a second time, had you a friend sufficiently zealous to undertake a voyage across the Atlantic for the purpose of persuading Osborne. I would not ask him to cross a ditch for the purpose, interrupted Faulkner with some asperity. Let such men as would believe a dastard like Osborne in preference to a gentleman and a soldier take my life if they will. It is not worth this pains in my own eyes, and thirsted for by my fellow men. It is a burden I would willingly lay down. The soft touch of Elizabeth's hand placed on his recalled him. He looked on her tearful eyes and became aware of his fault. He smiled to comfort her. I ought to apologize to these gentlemen for my hastiness, he said, and to you, my dear girl, for my apparent trifling. But there is a degradation in these details that might chafe a more placid temper. I cannot, I will not descend to beg my life. I am innocent. This all men must know, or at least will know, when their passions are no longer in excitement against me. I can say no more. I cannot win an angel from heaven to avouch my guiltlessness of her blood. I cannot draw this miserable fellow from his cherished refuge. All must fall on my shoulders. I must support the burden of my fate. I shall appear before my judges. If they seeing me and hearing me speak, yet pronounce me guilty, let them look to it. I shall be satisfied to die, so to quit at once a blind, bloodthirsty world. The dignity of Faulkner as he spoke these words, the high, disdainful, yet magnanimous expression of his features, the clear though impassioned tone of his voice thrilled the hearts of all thank god i do love this man even as he deserves to be loved was the tender sentiment that lighted up elizabeth's eyes while his male auditors could not help both by countenance and voice giving token that they were deeply moved on taking their leave soon after mr colville grasped faulkner's hand cordially and bade him rest assured that his zeal his utmost endeavours should not be wanting to serve him and he added in obedience rather to his newly awakened interest than his judgment i cannot doubt but that our endeavours will be crowned with complete success a man of real courage always finds new strength unfold within him to meet a larger demand made upon it faulkner was now perhaps for the first time thoroughly roused to meet the evils of his lot he threw every natural every morbid sensibility and strung himself at once to a higher and firmer tone of mind he renounced the brittle hopes before held out to him of this or that circumstance being in his favour he entrusted unreservedly his whole cause to the mighty irresistible power who rules human affairs and felt calm and free if by disgrace and death he were to atone for the destruction of his victim so let it be the hour of suffering would come and it would pass away and leaving him a corpse the vengeance of his fellow-creatures would end there he felt that the decree for life or death, having received already the irrefragable fiat, he was prepared for both, and he resolved from that hour to drive all weak emotions, all struggle, all hope or fear from his soul. Let God's will be done, something of Christian resignation, something, derived from his Eastern life, of belief in fatality, and something of philosophic fortitude. 
composed the feeling that engraved the sentiment in his heart in ineffaceable characters he now spoke of osborne to elizabeth without acrimony my indignation against that man was all thrown away he said we do not rebuke the elements when they destroy us and why should we spend our anger against men a word from osborne they say would save me the falling of the wind or the allaying of the waves would have saved alethea both are beyond our control i imagined in those days that i could guide events till suddenly the reins were torn from my hands a few months ago i exulted in expectation that the penalty demanded for my crime would be the falling by the hands of her son and here i am an imprisoned felon and now we fancy that this thing or that might preserve me while in truth all is decreed all registered and we must patiently await the appointed time come what may i am prepared from this hour i have taught my spirit to bend and to be content to die when all is over men will do me justice and that poor fellow will bitterly lament his cowardice it will be agony to him to remember that one word would have preserved my life then when no power on earth can recall me to existence he is not a bad man and could he now have represented to him his after remorse he would cease to exhibit such lamentable cowardice a cowardice after all that has its origin in the remnants of good feeling the fear of shame horror at having participated in so fearful a tragedy and a desire to throw off the consequences of his actions which is the perpetual and stinging accompaniment of guilt form his motives but could he be told how immeasurably his sense of guilt will be increased if his silence occasions my death all these would become minor considerations and vanish on the instant and would it be impossible said elizabeth to awaken this feeling in him by no means replied falkner though it is out of our power we sent a mercenary not indeed altogether lukewarm but still not penetrated by that ardour nor capable of that eloquence which is necessary to move a weak man like the one he had to deal with osborne is in some sort a villain but he is too feeble-minded to follow out his vocation he always desired to be honest now he has the reputation of being such from being one of those miserable creatures the refuse of civilization preying upon the vices while they are outcasts of society he has become respectable and trustworthy in the eyes of others he very naturally clings to advantages dearly earned lately gained he fancies to preserve them by deserting me could the veil be lifted could the conviction be imparted of the wretch he will become in his own eyes and of the universal execration that will be heaped on him after my death his mind would entirely change and he would be as eager i had almost said to come forward as now he is set upon concealment and silence end of chapter forty three recording by beth blakely